This morning, we continue our journey through the book of Acts with a story from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Hear this text, Acts 8, 26 through 39. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Kandake, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, About whom, may I ask you? Does the prophet say this about himself? or about someone else. Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A year ago, an article in the Harvard Business Review suggested that employers who want to develop certain skills in their employees, such as self-discipline, self-awareness, creativity, problem-solving, empathy, flexibility, generosity, and kindness, should encourage them to read more fiction. Research has shown that reading fiction for pleasure can actually strengthen certain cognitive muscles, the same muscles that help build our emotional intelligence. Reading fiction introduces us to characters, settings, and plots that can help us wrestle with sensitive issues and see the world through someone else's perspective. And as anyone who has ever participated in a book group knows, discussing a book with others, we often discover the limitations of our own point of view. Reading for pleasure does more than just make us feel good. It increases our capacity for understanding. Reading for pleasure was not something that happened much in the ancient world. The sacred texts of the Jewish religion were texts that were painstakingly copied onto parchment scrolls, which were very expensive. 
So when Philip, one of the early apostles, is sent by an angel into the middle of a wilderness road where a lone chariot is traveling, and when he hears the, re the rider of that chariot reading from the scroll of Isaiah, Philip immediately knows this person is wealthy and powerful and educated, and he knows something about God. Imagine the scene. Philip running alongside a moving chariot, struggling to keep up, panting out the question over the sound of wheels and the horses. Do you understand what you are reading? At this point, what should have happened is that the man in the chariot would have dismissed Philip as rude and intrusive. People didn't come running up alongside fancy chariots and start questioning the occupants. The man inside should have urged his driver to go faster and leave this unwelcome interruption in the dust. Instead, this wealthy, powerful, well-educated court official asks for Philip's help. He doesn't understand what he's reading, or at least he's not sure he does. So he invites Philip to join him and to help him interpret the text. What Philip could not have known when he went running alongside the chariot is that in addition to being wealthy, powerful, and educated, the rider in the chariot was also a eunuch, a castrated male servant classified as a sexual minority. This is why he could work near the queen, because eunuchs were deemed safe to serve women of the royal household. This particular eunuch was literate and had access to the Hebrew scriptures where he would have found contradictory messages about whether someone like him, both a eunuch and a foreigner, could be welcomed into God's family. And so this man who possesses the privileges of wealth and power and education sets all of this aside to ask Philip for help. When Philip discovers that the scroll the man is reading is from the prophet Isaiah, he must have immediately understood why the Holy Spirit brought the two of them together. Philip could explain that the passage the man is reading, which describes a messianic figure being led to slaughter like a lamb silent before its shearer. This passage was about none other than Jesus, who came to incarnate and reveal God's love. Despite his wealth and education and access to power, the eunuch wants the assurance that he too is welcomed into God's family. About whom is the prophet writing? Himself or someone else? The eunuch asks Philip. What he's really asking is what we all ask when we read God's word. Is this a word for me? Is this good news just about God and those other people God loves? Or is it also good news for me? As the chariot speeds along, Philip tells the eunuch this good news is indeed for him, foreigner, outsider, outcast that he is. Philip tells him about John the Baptist, baptizing anyone who came to him, washing them clean of their sin to prepare them for God's coming. Philip explains that Jesus himself, God's suffering servant, was baptized by John and went on to demonstrate the boundary-breaking love of God and to love people so well that it got him killed. Philip tells the eunuch that even a violent and unjust execution was not enough to defeat God's love 
and that God raised Jesus from the grave. Philip reveals that Jesus sent the disciples to share the good news of God's love. Philip must have said all of this because when the chariot passed by a body of water, the eunuch demanded that it stop and asked, what is to prevent me from being baptized? This is a question we ought to ask every time we celebrate the sacrament of baptism. What is to prevent you from being baptized? Because the answer to this question reminds us that baptism is not about us. It is all about God and God's love for each of God's children. Love which can only truly be experienced in community. Today, we celebrated the baptism of Henry Storer. We baptized Henry not because there is nothing that would prevent him from being baptized. Actually, there are plenty of things, not the least of which is that he is so young he barely knows his own name, much less God's. But we baptize Henry by asking his parents and by asking we, his church family, to take vows to teach him, to help him, to guide him as he begins to learn the wonder and mystery of God revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Baptism is never an individual act. It's a communal one. When the eunuch asks this question, what is to prevent me from being baptized? He is challenging Philip, challenging the scriptures in his hand, even challenging God. And the question must have given Philip pause. The easy answer was that there was a lot to prevent him from being baptized. He had literally just heard about Jesus. He'd had no time to take a baptism class or meet with the pastor. He was an Ethiopian, a foreigner, far from the land of Israel and the first location of the church. He was a servant to the queen, loyal to the wrong sovereign. And he was a eunuch, one whose God-given body had been altered so that he could not live a so-called normal life. All of these things were obstacles established by a religious institution and its rigid definitions of who could be considered an insider and who was left out. So what was to prevent him from being baptized? All kinds of things. But the Holy Spirit that brought Philip to this wilderness place was not about to desert him now. And when the eunuch asks the question and Philip struggles for an answer, the Spirit whispers in Philip's ear an answer that surely surprised Philip as much as the eunuch. What is to prevent him from being baptized? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. In the years immediately following World War II, Murat Yagin spent time in a remote corner of eastern Turkey, where he became friends with an elderly couple. Life had been good to the couple, but their one sadness was that they missed their only son, who had left years before to work in Istanbul. One day, Murat visited the old couple and found them bursting with pride, eager to show him the new cupboard their son had sent from Istanbul. It was indeed a handsome piece of furniture, and the woman had already arranged her best tea set on its upper shelf. Murat was polite but curious. Why would their son go through such an expense to send them a tea cupboard? 
And if the purpose of this piece of furniture was storage, why were there no drawers? Are you sure it's a tea cupboard? Murat asked. Yes, they were sure. But the question continued to nag him. Finally, just before leaving, he said, do you mind if I have a closer look at this cupboard? With their permission, he turned it around and unscrewed a couple of packing boards. A set of cabinet doors swung open to reveal a fully operative ham radio. The tea cupboard was intended to connect the couple to their son. But unaware of its real contents, they were simply using it to display their china. There is not one of us who can walk the journey of faith alone, who alone can figure out what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus. Alone, we are likely to take the gifts of God, the Bible, the church, the Holy Spirit, and turn them into beautiful pieces of furniture that gather dust in the corner. Without Philip, the eunuch could not understand the scriptures he was reading. But without the eunuch, Philip could not understand the full scope of God's love. We cannot navigate the journey of faith alone. No matter who we are and what we think we know, we need each other. We need infants and toddlers and adolescents. We need millennials and Gen Xers and boomers and Gen Z. We need scholars and novices. We need longtime members who know our history and first-time visitors who see our unrealized potential. We need people who came to the faith decades ago and those who are just discovering the gospel for the first time. And we all need to guide and encourage one another because we all have things that prevent us from feeling welcome and at home in God's embrace. Which is why the task of being the church requires constantly opening ourselves to the Holy Spirit and to one another. Amidst the stress of this past week, Jason Brown, our Minister of Music and Arts, sent a text to the pastoral staff, which he gave me permission to share. As America returns to normal, he wrote, be sure to check in on your non-white friends. Life is a pinch overwhelming for people of color right now. We, Jason's white colleagues, each expressed how grateful we were for that reminder. Because it's only natural that each one of us gets caught up daily in our own perspective, our own challenges, our own way of seeing the world. And we can forget that's simply not how it is for everyone else. And in order to truly do all that we can to create the kingdom of heaven Jesus reveals to us, we need the Holy Spirit to shake us out of our complacency and put us in conversation with those whose perspective is different from ours so that we might learn from each other. On this journey of faith, we need each other. We need to read together and talk together. We need to worship together and pray together. We need to discern together and plan together. We need to question together and wonder together. 
We need to rejoice together and mourn together. We need to serve together and advocate together. Most of all, together, we need to open this book, the Bible, that is for us the revelation of who God is and who we are as God's people. So that when any one of us dares to ask the question, what is to prevent me from answering God's call? We will all be ready and able to hear the Holy Spirit whispering in our ear and respond with conviction, nothing, absolutely nothing. Amen.